This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is being guided by the Spirit. In the first half, James Porter shares his BYU devotional address, Receiving and Recognizing the Holy Spirit. Then in the second half, Michael Jensen shares his thoughts entitled, Our Life-Changing Partnership with the Spirit. Here's Dr. James P. Porter. I still remember with fondness the day in 1971 when my friend and I loaded up his Volkswagen Bug and left Concord, California for Provo, Utah to begin our studies at Brigham Young University. Ever since we came around the point of the mountain and first saw the large block Y on the mountainside, I have had an abiding love of BYU. Brigham Young University is such a unique institution. I have a research lab in the Widso building and occasionally need to check on experiments over the weekend. One Sunday I brought my young son Caleb with me. We ended up parking pretty far away because so many students were on campus parked for their Sunday meetings. I explained to Caleb that on Sunday many of the rooms on campus are used for church. This little seven-year-old boy made the following astute observation. So BYU is a school, it's where you work, and it's a church? Yes, BYU is all of those things. I pray that the Spirit of the Holy Ghost will be with me and with you during our time together. I want to talk about receiving and recognizing the Holy Ghost. I will draw on my background in endocrinology to provide analogies that illustrate many of the points I want to make. If you suffer from biology anxiety, let me assure you that I will make the analogies as simple as possible so as not to create undue stress. I also want to start with the disclaimer that when it comes to receiving and recognizing the Spirit, I still have many things to learn myself. Endocrinology is the study of hormones. Hormones are chemical mediators that are delivered to the blood by endocrine glands. These hormones are then carried by the blood to distant cells where they exert their effects. For example, growth hormone is secreted into the blood by the pituitary gland, a tiny gland at the base of your brain, and travels to distant sites where it helps bring about growth during our developing years. Even though blood flows to virtually every cell in the body, not every cell is able to respond to a particular hormone. Only cells that have a receptor specific for the hormone will respond. A receptor is a protein on the surface of the cell that can bind to the hormone much like a key fits into a lock. Once the hormone binds to the receptor, a cascade of events is activated that leads to the hormone action in the target cell. However, even though the blood may be filled with a certain hormone, many cells will be unaffected by that hormone because they do not have the right receptor. The hormone passes right by these cells without exerting any effect. In a like manner, do the promptings of the Holy Ghost ever pass us by without being received? Following baptism, we were confirmed members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and were given the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
The Melchizedek priesthood holder who pronounced our confirmation used these well-known words, Receive the Holy Ghost. This exhortation makes it clear that we must do the receiving if we want to benefit from the ministration of the Holy Ghost. Much like a hormone cannot influence a cell without the appropriate receptor, the Holy Ghost cannot guide us, comfort us, and testify to us if we don't develop our own spiritual receptors. I love the story of young Samuel in the Old Testament that depicts the early stages of his acquiring of spiritual receptors. You may recall that Hannah was in unable to have children and made a vow that if Heavenly Father would bless her with a son, she would give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah did have a son, and true to her promise, she delivered him to Eli, the high priest at the tabernacle in Shiloh. One night as this young prophet-to-be lay down to sleep, he heard a voice call his name. Thinking that it was Eli who had called him, Samuel ran to Eli's room to ask what he wanted. Eli replied that he hadn't called Samuel and told him to go back to bed. The author of the book of Samuel explained, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. A second time Samuel heard a voice call his name, and a second time he ran to Eli, and a second time he was told to go back to bed. When Samuel came to Eli a third time, Eli finally caught on that it was the Lord who was calling and told Samuel to go back to his room, and when he heard the voice uh, again to say, Speak, for thy servant heareth. How many times have we missed a prompting from the Spirit because our spiritual receptors were still developing. Like Samuel, we too require experience and sometimes mentoring to develop our abilities to receive the Holy Ghost. Our understanding of endocrinology was slowed for many years because we didn't have a way to measure blood levels of these chemical messengers. The problem is that the concentration of hormones in the blood is very low. It wasn't until 1977 that Rosalind Yalow received the Nobel Prize for her discovery of a method to assay hormones in the blood. If the concentration of hormones in the blood is so low, how is it that target cells can respond at all? The answer is that their receptors have what we call high affinity for the hormones that they bind. High affinity binding means that there are strong intermolecular forces that readily bring the hormone and receptor together. What about spiritual receptors? Do they need high affinity? While the Holy Ghost can sometimes communicate in strong, unmistakable language, more often he communicates through quiet promptings. It was Elijah, the prophet, who found this out while on a mountaintop. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire a still small voice. Yes, because the Holy Ghost whispers instead of shouting, our spiritual receptors must also have high affinity. Elder David A. Bednar gave some important counsel about how we can keep ourselves ready and worthy to receive the Holy Ghost. He said, The Spirit of the Lord can be our guide and will bless us with direction, instruction, and spiritual protection during our mortal journey. We invite the Holy Ghost into our lives through meaningful personal and family prayer, feasting upon the words of Christ, diligent and exacting obedience, faithfulness and honoring of covenants, and through virtue, humility, and service. And we steadfastly should avoid things that are immodest, coarse, crude, sinful, or evil that cause us to withdraw ourselves from the Holy Ghost. By doing the good things mentioned by Elder Bednar and by avoiding the bad, we can ensure that our spiritual receptors have high affinity. In some circumstances, we may need our receptors, our spiritual receptors, to have even higher affinity. At those times, we can increase our ability to receive the Spirit by fasting, seeking a blessing, attending the temple, or finding a private place where we can pour out our hearts to Heavenly Father. Sometimes, even when we are righteous and eligible to be guided by the Holy Ghost, we may miss His promptings and leave them unrecognized. This may happen in part because of the quiet nature of the promptings. It might also be because we lack experience in recognizing the whisperings. Or perhaps we lack confidence in our ability to be guided by the Spirit. We may wonder, did that prompting come from the Holy Ghost? Or did we make it up? How can we better recognize the Spirit in our lives? I am now going to stretch this analogy about hormone receptors about as far as possible. As I already mentioned, only certain parts of the body will respond to a given hormone, depending on which cells have the appropriate receptor. What parts of our body have spiritual receptors? I want to mention two in particular the brain or mind, and the heart. In the early days of the Church, Oliver Cowdery was personally tutored by the Lord about recognizing the Spirit. We find those revelations in sections eight, uh, 6, 8, and 9 of the Doctrine and Covenants. In section 6, we learn that Oliver had already received a divine manifestation of the truth of Joseph's testimony about the plates but was seeking further assurance from the Lord. The Lord gives His answer in verses 22 and 23. Verily, verily, I say unto you, If you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? This answer helped Oliver and us to understand that sometimes the Spirit is received in our minds in the form of peaceful thoughts. This idea was reiterated in section 8 when the Lord granted Oliver's request to help with the translating of the plates 
The Lord said, Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Not only does the Spirit speak to us in our mind in the form of thoughts, He also speaks to us in our heart in the form of feelings. If we seek to better recognize the promptings of the Spirit, we should pay more attention to our thoughts and feelings. But usually it's not our random thoughts and feelings that are important. Oliver learned another important lesson when he tried to translate the plates but failed. In section 9, the Lord told him, Behold, you have not understood. You have supposed that I would give it unto you when you took no thought save it was to ask me. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. Then you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore you shall feel that it is right. But if it be not right, you shall have no such feelings. It is usually when we are working on our part to understand a principle or to receive an answer to a prayer or to make a decision or to choose a course of action and so forth that those thoughts come to our mind or feelings come to our heart from the Spirit. One of my earliest recollections of a personal experience with recognizing the Spirit came when I was a missionary in Korea. I had the responsibility to present a lesson about something to the missionaries at an upcoming Zone conference. I felt strongly the desire to teach something that would motivate, uplift, and help the missionaries in our Zone. I remember the weight I felt on my shoulders as I pondered, prayed, and prepared for that lesson. It wasn't a pleasant weight. It was a heavy weight that burdened me as I struggled to find the right idea for the lesson. Then one day I had a burst of inspiration. Thoughts came into my mind and almost instantly I knew what to teach. I knew it was right because the heavy burden that had weighed me down was lifted. Instead, I felt exhilarated. I guess you could say I felt peace. I remember thinking, this must be what it feels like to be prompted by the Holy Ghost. In subsequent personal experiences with the Spirit, I have noticed something. The peace that comes from the Spirit is often more recognizable when it comes in juxtaposition to a period of struggle and uncertainty. Perhaps the work and struggle on our part to study and ponder before receiving an answer is necessary because it makes the difference between our feelings of uncertainty and the feelings of peace offered by the Spirit distinct enough to be recognizable. Another personal example of this happens in my calling as a High Counselor. I am assigned most months to speak in a sacrament meeting. The stake president assigns a topic, usually an address from General Conference, and we are expected to seek the guidance of the Spirit in preparing our talks. I have noticed that as I read the conference address, ponder its significance, and consider the ward members that I will be speaking to, the Spirit is always there to guide my preparation. 
Recently, we were assigned to use Elder Donald L. Hallstrom's talk from April Conference, Turn to the Lord. One Saturday, I was out for a morning run, and I noticed a large stand of daffodils in full bloom. I noticed how most of the flower heads were facing the same direction. And I suddenly remembered—and I believe this was a prompting from the Holy Ghost—about a principle of plant physiology that I learned years ago called heliotropism. Heliotropism is a phenomenon whereby some plants and flowers turn toward the sun, S-U-N. As the sun moves across the sky, the plants gradually turn so that they are always facing it. I was able to use analogies of heliotropism in my talk to speak about turning toward the sun, S-O-N. One last personal uh, example of how the whisperings of the Spirit can come in the form of thoughts. Report card day for our oldest son, Ben, was never that great for him or for me. Though he was clearly smart and talented, his grades in math and science were never that good. This was difficult for me to understand because I had always loved math and science and I had done well in those areas. It would be safe to say that more than once the Spirit was driven from our home because of contention over grades. One day when Ben was high school age, I was pondering this issue of his grades in our contention. When a thought came to me as clear as if it had been a voice, you should be encouraging Ben in his strengths and worrying less about his weaknesses. As I mentioned, Ben is extremely talented and creative. We decided to encourage him to take a photography class that he was interested in and art classes and other classes that would allow him to show his strengths. He did well in those classes and his grades got better. Interestingly, his grades in math and science also got better. Ben eventually made his way to BYU and graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in animation. He currently works at Pixar Animation Studio in Emerville, California. At other times, I've been able to recognize the Spirit in the form of scriptural phrases brought to my remembrance. Jesus taught His disciples, His apostles, that the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. One time when I was a bishop, I was struggling with knowing whom to recommend to the stake president as a new elders quorum president. I had narrowed the list to two very capable brethren. As I sat in the temple pondering this issue, the words of Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, verse 41, came to my mind. No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned. I immediately knew which brother to recommend because one was the epitome of the virtues mentioned in that verse. Another time years ago, I was feeling some despair 
after my wife Kathy was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 44. You can imagine the uncertainty I felt as I considered the possibility of losing Kathy and what that would mean for me and for our seven children, who ranged in age from 21 to 2. I remember one day in sacrament meeting when I was thinking about this, the words, Lo, I shall be with you even to the end of thy days, came to my mind. I didn't even remember chapter and verse, but I knew Heavenly Father was sending me the comfort I needed by reminding me of a scriptural passage. I later found the scripture in Doctrine and Covenants section 24, and I am so grateful for the comfort and that Kathy survived. These two experiences illustrate the importance of regular scripture reading and study in opening up avenues for the Holy Ghost to commune with us in ways that we can recognize. Elder Robert D. Hales elaborated on this notion when he said, What a glorious blessing! For when we want to speak to God, we pray. And when we want Him to speak to us, we search the scriptures. For His words are spoken through His prophets. He will then teach us as we listen to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. Sometimes spiritual promptings are given to us even when we are not seeking them. Elder Dallin H. Oaks uh, called these promptings that are given to impel us to do some action that we weren't even considering. He wrote, This type of revelation is less common than other types, but its rarity makes it all the more significant. Kathy is a graduate of BYU's nursing school and is a registered nurse. Years ago, our daughter Sarah was a little under the weather and had a bit of a fever. There was really nothing to cause more than usual concern, but as Kathy walked past our bookshelf and saw her nursing books, she had a distinct thought, I ought to read up on what to do if someone has a fever seizure. Thankfully, she responded to that prompting and pulled out the book and reviewed the proper care for fever seizures. Not too long after Kathy finished the review, Sarah's fever spiked and she started having seizures. Kathy was able to render the appropriate care until we could get Sarah to the hospital. Joseph Smith said, A person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the spirit of revelation. For instance, when you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you sudden strokes of ideas. Now back to hormone receptors. Sometimes hormone receptors do not function properly and disease results. Type 2 diabetes is a good example of this sort of problem. In this disorder, the receptor for the hormone insulin fails to carry out its normal function. Without this normal effect of insulin, blood glucose concentrations get very high and cause problems. This is known as a hormone receptor insensitivity disease. In a similar way, if our spiritual receptors fail to fu function properly, spiritual disease can result. Remember the description in the Book of Mormon of Laman and Lemuel who were past feeling and could not feel the word of the Lord? How can we lose the ability to receive the Spirit in our lives? 
Look at Laman and Lemuel. We learn from Nephi's account that they were prideful and unbelieving. They were unwilling to follow the commandments of the Lord. They physically and verbally abused their brothers. They were rebellious, and they murmured a lot. As a result, they knew not the dealings of that God who had created them. In essence, they had a spiritual receptor insensitivity disease. People with type 2 diabetes can benefit from several treatments that improve the function of insulin receptors. For example, diet and exercise help. There are also some medications that make insulin receptors work better. What treatment is available for those with spiritual receptor insensitivity? Elder Joseph B. Worthland taught that a dose of repentance could help. He said, I invite you to ponder individually in a humble and prayerful manner and ask yourself, Do I have the Spirit in my life? Am I happy? Am I doing anything in my life that is offensive to the Spirit and preventing the Holy Ghost from being my constant companion? Have the courage to repent, if needed, and again enjoy the companionship of the Holy Ghost. As we repent and partake of the sacrament each week, we not only renew our baptismal covenants to be obedient and always remember the Savior, but Heavenly Father also renews His promise that we will always have His Spirit to be with us. How can we ever pass up this opportunity to weekly attend sacrament meeting and weekly receive this great promise? Brothers and sisters, Heavenly Father did not send us to this earth without also sending the Holy Ghost to guide and protect us. One of the most important skills we must learn in this life is to receive and recognize the quiet whisperings of the Spirit. It is so crucial that our spiritual receptors have high affinity. We ensure this high affinity by being obedient and humble and Christ-like and by avoiding situations and practices that dull our senses. In order to better recognize the Spirit, we should, make, we should pay more attention to our thoughts and feelings and make sure that we read the scriptures regularly. We should also attend our sacrament meetings and regularly partake of the sacrament. If we find ourselves past feeling because our spiritual receptors are insensitive, we need to repent and rely on the power of Christ's Atonement to restore us to a condition where we can again receive those promptings. I am amazed at how quickly the Spirit returns when I sincerely repent. May God bless us to continually improve our ability to receive and recognize the Holy Ghost. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Being Guided by the Spirit. We've just heard from Dr. James Porter. After the break, we'll return with Michael Jensen for our life-changing partnership with the Spirit. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Being Guided by the Spirit. Next, Dr. Michael A. Jensen, professor of electrical engineering, shares our life-changing partnership with the Spirit. 
despite my anxiety over the assignment which I have been asked to fill today, I am truly pleased to be with you. I am grateful for the support I have received from colleagues and friends. I express particular gratitude to my sweet wife, Angela, who supports me today and always. You have heard that I am an electrical engineer, and this leads me to a confession. I am a classic science geek. Shocking, I know. I'm fascinated by the workings of our world, and I love to learn and to teach about them. I am guilty of soliciting opportunities to give science demonstrations to kids, even ones as young as four years old. After all, you can never start geek training too early. <laughs> One scientific discovery that has always fascinated me is the laser, which was first demonstrated in the early 1960s. To illustrate what makes this light source so interesting, consider a quick comparison between light generated in a fluorescent bulb and light generated in a laser. In a fluorescent bulb, the gas molecules in the bulb are energized into an excited state by an electric current, and then they spontaneously and randomly release light as they transition to their original energy state. The resulting light moves in different directions and in fact will be different colors, which is why most fluorescent light is white. In the case of the laser, the excited molecules release their light energy in response to other light energy hitting the molecule. Amazingly, under this circumstance, the released light is identical to the incident light in direction, color, and other characteristics, and as a result, the light is particularly intense. As an analogy, consider how people engaged in a tug-of-war can be most effective when they all pull at precisely the same time. The laser light source is powerful, despite the fact that it does, it does not consume a lot of electrical power. This scientific phenomenon reminds me of the Book of Mormon encounter, when the Nephites gathered together immediately before the appearance of the resurrected Savior. We read, And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. Nevertheless, and notwithstanding it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the very center. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul. To me, this voice is a lot like a laser, not loud, but powerful and pointed. Of course, this is the voice of the Father introducing the Savior to the Nephites. But it seems that the voice of the Holy Ghost could be described in a similar way. The scriptural story also tells us that the Nephites heard the voice twice without understanding it. The third time, they understood it only because they did open their ears to hear it. Isn't this often the way it works for us with the promptings of the Spirit? It is on this process of understanding the guidance and roles of the Spirit that I would like to speak today. One Sunday afternoon, when I was serving as a bishop in a BYU student ward, a young woman came into my office to tell me that she had been dating a young man for some time and that he had recently proposed. That happens occasionally on this campus. Before giving an answer to the young man's question, she wanted to pray for guidance to ensure that this was the Lord's will. She prayed frequently and even fasted, waiting for an unmistakable witness, instructing her of the choice she should make. However, she felt that clear direction never came. She was frustrated and had begun to question her own worthiness, fearing that she no longer deserved the promised guidance associated with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Fortunately, as we discussed the situation, she was able to feel comfortable with the decision, although she left still feeling a desire to receive a clear witness. Other similar experiences suggest to me that difficulty in recognizing clear guidance from the Spirit is a common frustration among church members and one that is not limited to youth or young adults. We all desire to use the great gift of the Holy Ghost that we have received to confidently make life's key decisions. We seek answers to difficult questions such as what major or career path should I pursue? How can my limited budget get us to the end of the month? How can I help my aging parents? And yes, even should I marry the person I am currently dating? 
We have hope that the guidance of the Spirit will help us make choices that lead to happiness and comfort for ourselves and those we love. Sometimes the inspiration from the Holy Ghost comes in unmistakable ways. On this topic, President Heber J. Grant said, The Lord gives to many of us the still, small voice of revelation. It comes as vividly and strongly as though it were with a great sound. It comes to each man according to his needs and faithfulness for guidance in matters that pertain to his own life. My observation is that obvious and immediate guidance from the Spirit comes when there is a pressing need, such as our own safety or significant impacts on other people. These types of promptings are a great gift from God. Because we as Latter-day Saints have heard so many stories where the answers come easily and vividly, we tend to expect this type of manifestation in all of our important decisions and may feel frustrated or even unworthy when we don't receive it. However, it is my observation that for every story of an individual receiving a clear and direct answer, there is at least one story of someone who has struggled to receive such clear direction. Sometimes, indeed, this can be caused by unworthiness. But I think we need to more carefully consider the role of the Spirit in our lives and to better recognize its influence. Let me try to illustrate this point with a personal experience. At the end of my undergraduate education, I made a relatively simple decision to extend my education for another year here at BYU to complete a master's degree. Then, as I considered opportunities for doctoral studies, I found the decision to be very difficult. How would this degree impact my career? Was it the correct path for my eventual family? Would I enjoy the education and resulting career? What school should I choose? I sought the guidance of the Spirit and hoped for a clear answer to my prayers. As part of this process, I educated myself regarding the different options and solicited advice from the faculty here. But obvious guidance from the Spirit never came. I wondered if I had failed to seek guidance with sincerity or if I had somehow offended the Spirit and was not deserving of the answers I sought. Armed, however, with information and advice, I made the best decision I could. Now, the benefit of time past allows me to see that I made the correct decision so many years ago. I have no doubt that I had received the promised guidance of the Spirit without even recognizing it. Life has taught me that in these types of decisions, as we collect and evaluate information, the Spirit works right by our side, helping us to sift and prioritize the information that is critical in making the appropriate decision. It helps us to realize which factors and considerations are most important. It quickens our minds and enhances our own reasoning. While we, don't, while we often don't recognize this enhancement, it is clear that we are, in fact, partners with the Spirit in this decision-making process. Remember that the Lord told Oliver Cowdery that he must first study it out in his mind the, and that the Lord would tell him in his mind and in his heart by the Holy Ghost. Sometimes our inclination is to think that we do all the upfront work and then seek the Spirit to confirm our decision. This is consistent with the message we give to those investigating the church, that they should first study the Book of Mormon and then pray to know of its truthfulness. However, we all know that the Spirit will testify of the truth while they are reading the Book of Mormon, that they can gain a testimony while listening to the truth, and that subsequent prayer only confirms that witness. Why then do we dismiss the quickening of the mind and reasoning enabled by the Holy Ghost that occurs while we are making life's important decisions? This important partnership with the Spirit is part of the great plan of God. The Lord tells us in the Doctrine and Covenants, Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. This agency, this power within us, is something that we must exercise. In our zeal to return to live with our Father in heaven, I fear that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that our ultimate goal is higher. We are to become like Him. We are expected to use our intellects and our abilities to their fullest extent 
for that is how in this life we develop as much as possible our godlike attributes. The Spirit's job is to make up the vast difference between our abilities and those needed to make correct decisions. But were the Spirit to dictate all of our actions by providing direct answers to all of our questions, He would rob us of the practice we so desperately need if we are to develop as the plan of salvation requires. My advice and my encouragement is that you live worthily and seek the guidance of the Spirit while working hard to make life's decisions after careful consideration of the relevant issues. Then, be confident that the Spirit is working with you, even if the final result is not as dramatic as you had originally hoped. Often, the final witness comes only as a quiet understanding that you have deliberated to the best of your abilities and are ready to move forward with faith. Then, give glory and thanks to God, both for the opportunity to, de to develop your godlike attributes and for the partnership with the Spirit that compensates for your shortcomings imposed by mortality and imperfection. Our understanding and recognition of this partnership we have with the Spirit can be enhanced and perfected if we pay more strict attention to a more important function of the Spirit. I love do section, doctrine, se section 21 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It documents a revelation received by the Prophet Joseph during the meeting called to organize the church. In this revelation, the Lord says regarding the Prophet, for his word ye shall receive as if from mine own mouth, in all patience and faith. For by doing these things the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. Yea, and the Lord God will disperse the powers of darkness from before you, and cause the heavens to shake for your good and his name's glory. For me, the imagery of this verse is that of a ship, moving along its course with the bow dispersing the water to help the ship pass smoothly along its way. I can imagine the powers of darkness trying to impede our path of spiritual progression and the guidance of the Spirit helping us to follow the prophet's words such that these powers of darkness are dispersed from before us. And consider that following the prophet's words is equivalent to following the Savior, for he has said that his word shall all be fulfilled, whether by, the voice of, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of my servants. It is the same. How is it that the Spirit helps us in following the words of the prophet and thereby following the Savior? Consider the teaching of the Savior to the Nephites as he visited them after his resurrection. Now this is the commandment. Repent, all ye ends of the earth, and come unto me and be baptized in my name, that ye may be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, that ye may stand spotless before me at the last day. The idea that the Holy Ghost sanctifies us is a familiar teaching, something that we learn early in our study of the gospel. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the baptism by fire that we understand to be a cleansing process. But what is it that is cleansed? How does this cleansing manifest itself in our daily lives? How does it relate to the remission of sins promised as a result of repentance and our satisfaction of baptismal covenants? This is not a complicated doctrine, but it is one that, we, that is crucial to understand as we pursue our goal to become like our Father. Let me address this by means of a familiar scriptural story. Recall that after their own miraculous conversion, Ammon and the other sons of King Mosiah left, left home to minister among the Lamanites. Ammon travels to the land of Ishmael, representing a part of the Lamanite kingdom ruled by King Lamoni, whose father was the king over all the Lamanites. After some pretty impressive missionary work, Ammon had the opportunity to teach Lamoni and his household the gospel, and everyone, except for a woman who had already secretly been converted, received a miraculous conversion experience. These converted individuals later testified to the people in the land, the scripture tells us, and they did all declare unto the people the selfsame thing, that their hearts had been changed, that they had no more desire to do evil. Does this sound like sanctification to you? As we previously, previously discussed, we all have agency, which is the power to change our behavior. We have the ability to cease committing sin. However, simply abandoning sin is inadequate as we still have the desire to continue our former behavior. 
the influence of the Spirit is able to change our very hearts so that we no longer even desire to commit sin. The purging by the refiner's fire, often used to describe the cleansing, the cleansing process enabled by the Spirit, is the purging of unrighteous desires of our heart. Neil A. Maxwell taught, Fortunately for us, our loving Lord will work with us, even if we can do no more than desire to believe, providing we will let this desire work in us. Therefore, declared, declared President Joseph F. Smith, the education then of our desires is one of far-reaching importance to our happiness in life. Such education can lead to sanctification until, said President Brigham Young, holy desires produce corresponding outward works. Only by educating and training our desires can they become our allies instead of our enemies. I love this imagery of education of our desires as something that leads to sanctification until holy desires produce good works. This is the single most important function of the Holy Ghost, as this is what enables us to return to God's presence and become like Him. What is our role in, in enabling the Spirit to work this miracle in our lives? Remember our discussion revealing that following the prophet and therefore following the Savior disperses the powers of darkness from before us? There is a simple scriptural story that brings this concept to life. A young man came to Jesus during his mortal ministry, asking him what he needed to do to obtain eternal life. Jesus quoted several basic commandments, and the young man simply answered that he had kept these commandments since he was a child. Perhaps he therefore felt confident when he asked Jesus the question, What lack I yet? He obviously was not prepared for the answer that Jesus gave him. Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Unfortunately, the young man could not comply. It is easy for us to condemn the young man as being too attached to his material possessions. But this story is not about the love of money and things. This story is about loving something so much that it keeps us from following the Savior. In this context, we all have great possessions, and many of us are guilty of the behavior displayed by this young man. Even Peter, who returned to his fishing after the Savior's crucifixion, was asked about these fish by the resurrected Lord. Simon, son of Joseph, Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Consider again our story about the sons of Mosiah. Lamoni's father, king over all the Lamanites, had the opportunity to observe Ammon with his son, and as a result of this he desired to learn the gospel. As Aaron, Ammon's brother, teaches the king about the gospel, the king indicates that he will give away his entire kingdom to, quote, have this eternal life, be born of God, and have this wicked spirit rooted out of his breast, and receive his spirit. But giving up his kingdom was not required. Rather, the king soon realized a different sacrifice was warranted. And as he prayed, he said to God, Wilt thou make thyself known unto me? And I will give away all my sins to know thee. One summer during my own college years, I worked at a job which required me to commute about 15 miles each way. To economize, I carpooled with a young man who was a devout born-again Christian. I came to love this man's devotion in the cause of Christ. And in time, he revealed to me that he had once been a very accomplished figure skater. When I asked him why he no longer engaged in the sport, he told me that he felt he was doing it for his own glory rather than the glory of God. I could not help but be impressed by his willingness to give up what he loved because he, he felt it was keeping him from following the Savior. By using our agency to change our behavior, we empower the Spirit to change our hearts. We must truthfully identify those things currently keeping us from following the Savior as fully as we should, and unlike the young rich man, be willing to put those things on the altar of sacrifice. Then, the Spirit can educate our desires, making it so that we no longer desire to do evil, which is the sanctification we seek. My mission president was a man who knew the scriptures and used them to powerfully teach. I can still recall his words as he would use scriptures to clearly and simply explain doctrines that I had previously thought to be complicated and confusing. 
Recently, I attended a reunion for missionaries that had served under this man. As he took the podium at the end of the evening, he delivered a sermon demonstrating that this power and ability had only increased in his life. I was struck by his words, which went something like, There are many of you in this room who are living in such a way that you do not enjoy the companionship of the Spirit. Whatever you are doing that is not in harmony with, with the commandments, stop it now. This message is powerful. Sometimes we rationalize our continuation of inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds, saying that we are not ready to change now, but we'll certainly improve in the future. My plea is that you, <clears throat> to use the words of my mission president, you stop it now. My invitation is that you live, leave today with a resolve in your heart to identify, identify some sinful behaviors that you can today sacrifice, and then come follow the Savior. There is a remarkable outcome of this process working in our lives. Do you remember the story of Enos in the Book of Mormon? Enos tells us that while he was hunting in the forest, he remembered the teachings of his father, Jacob, about eternal life, and therefore his soul hungered. What a great word to describe his desire to change or to connect with my remarks today, to give up those things keeping him from following the Savior. He knelt down and prayed all day and into the night. The culmination of this process was a voice coming to him, telling him that his sins had been forgiven. Clearly, Enos was undergoing the change of heart we have been discussing today. I am struck, however, by what happens next. After Enos receives a witness of the principles of the atonement through this interchange with the voice of the Lord, the scripture tells us that he did begin to feel a desire for the welfare of his brethren, and therefore he starts to pray for them. After receiving additional guidance from the voice of the Lord, Enos then tells us that he starts to pray for the Lamanites, his enemies. No longer desiring to do evil, which is a key indicator of the change of heart wrought by the Spirit, goes hand in hand with a concern for the welfare of others. Enos is not alone in this, in this type of transformation. Alma the Elder, Alma the Younger, the sons of Mosiah, Peter and Paul of the New Testament, and so many other scriptural figures demonstrate the same change in their lives. Our modern prophets, apostles, and general church leaders, all of whom clearly have experienced the change of heart in their lives, spend time in our service, saddened by the thought that any of us should be lost due to wickedness. More generally, the scriptures are full of stories demonstrating clear and distinct guidance from the Spirit to prophets and other examples of faith, as these individuals strive to be instruments in God's hands to bless the lives of others. If you would like more frequent and more impactful direct encounters with the Spirit, focus on how you can serve those around you. Pray each day that the Spirit will guide you to those who need your help. As you study sacred word, ponder on ways in which you can apply the principles to serve those around you. This simple formula will bring the Spirit into your lives in new, direct, and powerful ways. I encourage you to ask yourself these questions. Are you the one trying to beat everyone else to the front of the long line at the grocery store? Are you, are, are you instead the one helping the mother with small children who is struggling to balance her cart and her kids? Are you too busy with your own problems to listen to a roommate or spouse's challenges? Or are you the trusted confidant and counselor? Do you home or visit teach to satisfy a, re a requirement? Or are you finding meaningful ways to serve the families or individuals you visit? Do you seek church callings that give high visibility? Or are you, st are you striving to bless others' lives no matter where you are called to serve? Brothers and sisters, we have covered a lot of ground today. Remember these words of the Master. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them wherein they are agents unto themselves. This is the path we must pursue if we are to become like our Father in heaven. If there are things keeping you from following the Savior, 
Stop them now and seek to bless the lives of those around you. Through this process, you will find the Spirit working a great change in your heart and your desires will center on, on serving God by serving your fellow man. Your familiar, familiar, familiarity with the Spirit will become so exercised that when you need its help in making decisions for your own well-being, you will immediately recognize those thoughts and promptings, that partnership that will assist you through your decision-making process. Indeed, you will find that the promptings are increasingly clear and unmistakable, even if the nature of those promptings is not dramatic. On this path of progression, never forget the beautiful promise of the Master given in DNC 121. Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. This confidence before God is what I hope for myself, my family, and each of you. I hope that you will seek these blessings of the Spirit more fully in your lives, and I testify of the power it will bring, and do so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. This is Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Being Guided by the Spirit, with thoughts from Dr. James Porter and Dr. Michael A. Jensen. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.